All right, would you pray with me, please? Father, um, as we begin today, I want to ask that you would pour out your spirit among us. Uh, you would help us not to just come to church and go through the motions, but to, uh, to connect with you and your, your spirit and your truth and your people. Please open our minds to be receptive to what you're communicating to us in the scriptures. And uh, God, help us to see what we need to do in light of it. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we've been in the midst of a series entitled Excuse Me. And uh, in this series, we have been exploring um, different areas in life where, where God is clearly calling us to something more, something deeper, something richer than what we've experienced. And, and we've been looking at different excuses that tend to get in between us and God's best for us. And so in, in week one, we talked about this idea that I would have faith, I would follow Jesus, but, and we looked at the different excuses that keep us from surrendering our lives to him. And last week, Pastor James did an amazing job of just walking us through this idea that we are called to grow spiritually and that one of the best places for that to happen is in the context of community. And, and really challenged us to, you know, to go, hey, I, you know, I'd be in small group, but and to get beyond those excuses and to get signed up for a small group. And if you didn't get signed up for a small group yet, like, what are you waiting for? If you're like, I'm waiting for the last minute because I'm a church person and that's what church people do, right? You're almost there, right? Two weeks from today, we're going to be starting the church wide. So if you haven't gotten signed up for a group yet, whether you're, you're, you're sitting in the room, whether you're watching online, if you're in the room, walk out the doors after church, go to the community station, get signed up for a small group. If you're watching online, you can do that on your, your digital connection card, whether you want to do a person, you know, in-person group, whether you do want to do a Zoom group, get part of community. Now, this week as we continue, we're going to look at another key area for um, what, what it looks like, what, what God is trying to call us into something deeper for. And to try and illustrate this today, we're going to look at the, the part of, not the whole thing, but part of the life story of a relatively well-known biblical character. We're, we're going to be looking at the life story of Moses, and we're going to be kind of just swimming around in the early parts of Exodus as we work through some of his life story together. Again, a story that really just illustrates well this next area. Now, when Moses' life story begins in the book of Exodus, uh, it begins at a time when the Israelites are experiencing this massive population boom. They are having babies like crazy. Like they're having babies at the rate of uh, homeschoolers or something, all right? Just fun for my homeschooler friends out there, okay? And before you get your bun and jumper all in an uproar and think, um, you know, don't like homeschoolers, right? My wife homeschooled our children. I don't have anything against homeschoolers. I'm just an equal opportunity pick on you kind of pastor. So um, they're having babies like crazy, and it, it makes Pharaoh distressed. And, and so Pharaoh comes to a conclusion in light of all the babies that the Israelites, the Hebrews are having, and his conclusion is simply this. He's like, hey, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or or they will become even more numerous, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So Pharaoh's like, hey, we got a problem. So 
Pharaoh comes up with two solutions for this problem. Solution number one is to subject the Israelites to forced labor. He's going to enslave the Hebrews. And, and, and for some reason, that doesn't work. Even though he makes their lives hard, bitter, miserable things, that doesn't slow down the population growth. And so Pharaoh comes up with, with you know, solution number two, and that's to engage in low-level genocide. He, he tells the Hebrew midwives, listen, every time you are there birthing a, a Hebrew baby, if it's a boy, you're to kill it in the delivery room on the spot. And when the Hebrew midwives don't do that, Pharaoh enacts a new law. And the legislation is really simple, you know, read like this. He says, every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Now, I don't know how Pharaoh went about enacting this. You know, I kind of envision you've got these Egyptian, you know, soldiers wandering through Israelite neighborhoods and they're checking buggies and they're, you know, listening for crying babies and going door to door. And when they find a young Hebrew boy, they beat dad into submission. They rip that screaming child out of its mother's arms. They take that little boy down to the Nile They throw him into the waters, and they watch to make sure that he drowns. This is the world that Moses is born into. Now, his parents, they're like, there's no way. We're not handing our kid over. We're not drowning him ourselves. Their initial solution is we're going to hide him. Now, imagine that. First three months of a newborn's life, you're going to hide that kid, right? You think, you think about the kind of stress that's going to create. You're going to keep an infant from crying for the first three months. Every time he does, you're panicked. You know, an Egyptian's going to come busting through the front door. You, you, you're worried about what are his, you know, who, who his older siblings are going to talk to. You're afraid the neighbors are going to figure out you've had the baby or what the gender might be. It's three months of bad options. We can't, we can't keep this a secret forever. We're not killing him. We're not letting the Egyptians do it. What are we supposed to do with this? I suspect it was that kind of desperation that drove Moses' mother to the solution she came up with. If you know the story, you know, you know she made this little boat. She puts her three-month-old child into the boat, and she sets the boat loose on the Nile. Now, again, the, the, the text doesn't tell us for sure. I'm convinced Moses' mother strategically chose the place she put that boat into the river to line up with where she knew Pharaoh's daughter would be taking a bath. See, I think think Moses' mother knew men and women react differently to crying babies. Amen? Yeah. Like for men, a crying baby, it strikes a nerve. The make it stop now nerve, right? This is why most men would rather drive an ice pick through their eardrum than listen to a baby scream continually. It's different with women crying baby, it strikes the, oh, what's the matter, sweetheart, nerve. Crying baby, it will inspire a woman to compassion and to action. I think Moses' mother knew this. 
So she puts that baby in the water near where Pharaoh's daughter is taking a bath. And sure enough, that little boat goes by and, and Moses starts crying. And, and what happens? We're told Pharaoh's daughter, she felt sorry for him. I can almost hear the tone, you know, oh, this is one of the Hebrew babies. Now, Moses' sister, she's been tailing the boat, watching what's going on. And, and she sees this interaction. She watches Pharaoh's daughter take the bait, swallow the hook. And so she approaches her and, and she asks this. She says, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Moses' sister is all like, oh, your majesty, what a, what a coincidence to run into you here, right? Who would have thought this is a wonderful bathing place? I didn't even know this existed, you know? Hey, you found a Hebrew baby. Isn't he cute? I just know a Hebrew lady who happens to be lactating. I can get her for you. She can feed the kid if you want. And, and, and here's, here's what Pharaoh's daughter says next. She says, yes, go. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me. And I love this. I will pay you. So the woman took the baby boy and nursed him. See, what some people call coincidence, other people call God working anonymously or providentially. Think about this. Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the planet, is intent on extinguishing Hebrew boys' lives. And he can't keep his own daughter from falling in love with one of them. Pharaoh is intent, you know, the, 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 the king of Egypt is intent that, that Moses is going to be sleeping with the fishes. And the king of heaven has him sleeping in Pharaoh's palace. Pharaoh, he's going to line his pockets with the sweat of the Hebrews' brows. He is paying an Israelite woman to nurse her own child. And what are the odds of this just happening? Now, God is on the move here. He is working here. So Pharaoh's daughter makes Moses her child. And, and Moses is raised in her home. And he is educated in the language and customs and academics and politics of the ruling nation of the known world. He is afforded every opportunity possible. And yet Moses knows he's different. Looks different. Feels different. He senses he's made for something more than, than this soft life as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He senses in a, in a way he cannot escape. He's, he's meant to make a difference for good in the lives of his people who are suffering. And so one day he goes out there to try and do something about it. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew one of his own people. So he looks this way and that, and seeing no one, 
He killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Moses goes out there to try and make a difference for good, and it's, it's a mess, to say the least. And the next time he goes out to try and do something, it doesn't go much better. Like he sees two Israelites fighting, and he confronts the one who's clearly in the wrong. And the guy pipes back with, you know, who made you the boss of me? Well, what, are you going to murder me like you did the Egyptian? See, Moses thought this was a secret. It's not. And pretty soon, pretty soon word spreads and Pharaoh finds out. And Pharaoh now wants Moses dead. And so Moses has to flee the country for a second time now. Pharaoh is seeking his life. Now, Moses' story, it picks up 40 years later. Moses has grown. Things are going all right. Met a nice girl. Got married. He's working for her dad. In the meantime, though, his people have been enslaved for the last 40 years. And he knows it. And he's, he's sensing he's still made to do something about it. And so God appears to Moses in a miraculous fashion and reminds Moses that the call to make a difference for good that he has on his life has not changed. But, but as this conversation begins, God first deals with Moses on some things that Moses has probably been wrestling with over the last four decades. See, Moses is human. He, he's got this sense that he's been made to do a different, you know, to do something about what he's seen, about what he's heard, about what he feels. In fact, he's probably spent some sleepless nights thinking about the ways he saw his people oppressed. The things he heard them say, the ways that he heard with his own ears how they're crying out for deliverance. And he probably lost sleep about you know, his attempts to do something about it that fail miserably. He, he still senses he's made for something more than eating up food and drinking up water and sucking up air and filling up space. He's made for more. Than, than just you know, getting an education and a job and a wife and having some kids and buying a house and then on into retirement. He knows he's made to make a difference for good, but it's all been a debacle when he's tried to do so. And, and then if he's human, he's wondering, like, where's God in all of this? Does God see? Is God listening? Is he doing something? Does he even care? And so, right as the conversation begins, God says this to Moses. He says, Moses, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. And then God goes on, he says, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are pressing them. God's like, Moses, I can see. I hear. I see. I hear. And I care. Moses, I'm coming and I'm going to do something. But here's the rub. It's how. 
how God in his infinite and sometimes incomprehensible wisdom, how God plans to do something about this. This guy says, Moses, I see, I hear, I care. Let me tell you what I'm doing. Here it is, Moses. So now, Moses, go. I am sending you. I'm sending you, Moses, to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Moses, you want to know how the world's going to know that I see and I hear and I care? They're going to know through you. Moses, you want to know how I'm going to make a difference about the brokenness and the suffering that you are witnessing and losing sleep over? I'm going to make a difference through you. Moses, you are a living, breathing, hands and feet, flesh and blood, tangible expression of that as you go and serve. Moses, I'm doing something. I'm sending you. Now, here's the thing we need to understand, church. What God was saying to Moses then, he's saying to you and me today. God's saying, look at, look at this world around you. See people who are confused, who are hurting, who are suffering. The world's going to know. I see, I hear, I care through you. The world's going to know I am doing something to make a difference because of you. Because as my church, you are my hands and feet, flesh and blood, living, breathing, tangible expression of that. As you go and serve. So God lays this on Moses. And Moses hears it. There's no confusion for Moses what God is saying. He gets it. God's like, Moses, I am sending you. And Moses, Moses is like, well, I don't know, God. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know, God. I mean, you sure about all this? And Moses just starts, he's got this list of excuses. Excuse me, God. God, like, don't you know who I am? Like, aren't you familiar with my past? God, I go and serve, but, but, but God, what if they ask me a bunch of questions and I don't know the answers? God, I would go and serve, but, but, but like, what if I tell them the answers and they don't believe me? God, I would go and serve, but don't you have something else? I don't even know if I want to serve like that anymore. God, God, loud and clear, Moses, it's you. And Moses has this laundry list of excuses that get between him and going and serving. And again, I mean, it's, if we're honest, for some of us, we have to admit, we know God has called us to serve. But we got all these excuses for why we're not going to. Like, I, I would serve, but have you seen my calendar? I'm just too busy to fit one more thing in there. I would serve, I, just, I don't know where, I don't know how, I'm, I'm not good at anything. I would serve, but, I, you know, last time I did that, it didn't go well. 
Like, I did not have a good experience. The person I was, you know, the leader I was working with, they were, they were jerks, jerks for Jesus. I don't want to serve anymore, you know. I'd, I'd serve, but, you know, like, I got, they, they used me up and burned me out. I'd serve, but, you know, like, th- somebody said something critical, and I took my pail and my shovel, and I went home, and I said, bump this mess, you know. I'd serve, but, and I've just got excuse, 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 excuse. Like Moses, we've got this laundry list of reasons for why we're not going to serve. Now, I wish I had time to go through every one of Moses' excuses. I don't. I got time to hit one. And since my personality type is concrete, sequential, anal retentive, anybody want to guess which one we're going to go after? Not the last one, no. The first one, thank you, yes, because praise the name of Jesus, godly people go first to last, amen? <laughs> if you're anal or attentive, concrete, sequential, that's the way you do it. So, first, first excuse Moses has, God's like, hey, I'm calling you to serve. Here's Moses' response. Moses says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and to bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Moses is like, God, don't you understand who I am? Which when you think about who's having the conversation with who, that's a silly question. Yes, God knows who Moses is. God knows exactly who Moses is. But Moses is like, God, don't you understand who I am? God, I'm just a shepherd. God, I'm just the guy who flunked out of deliverance school. God, I'm a murderer. God, I'm nothing more than a political criminal on the run. God, don't you understand who you're dealing with here? And again, God knows exactly who Moses is. God knows who Moses is better than Moses knows who Moses is. And it's precisely because God knows who Moses is that God is calling Moses to serve this way. Think about the history for Moses' life that we've gone through here. Moses' mother is pregnant. And God is right there knitting Moses together in his mother's womb. Forming his personality. Giving him a temperament. And Moses is born. And God is right there making sure a Hebrew woman nurses this child so he forms an insatiable bond with her and has a passion for the well-being of these people he might not have otherwise. And God is right there, making sure Moses is raised in Pharaoh's household. He's developing skills and abilities that, that allow Moses to navigate the Hebrew, excuse me, to, to navigate the Egyptian political system like no other Hebrew on the face of the planet possibly could. God is right there shaping Moses to be the exact right person for this call. Moses is like, don't you know who I am? And God's like, yes, I know exactly who you are. In fact, I've shaped you to be who you are. And again, what's true for Moses is true for you and me. God has shaped you. He knits you together in your mother's womb 
formed your personality. God has been at work in the midst of your experiences. And, and that doesn't mean that every experience you had, God caused to happen. God didn't cause Pharaoh to murder Hebrew boys. But God didn't waste Moses' experiences. And God isn't wasting yours. He's using them to, to form inside of you abilities, passions, a heart. You, you're not an accident. Your life is not a random series of events. The God of the universe has shaped you. He's given you gifts and a heart and abilities and a personality and experiences. And he shaped you to serve. He knows exactly who you are. You're the exact right person for what he's calling you to do. So God comes to Moses and he says, hey, I'm calling you to this. And Moses is like, well, I can't do that. You don't know who I am. And God's like, I know exactly who you are. And then God kind of gives the statement that should drop the mic. He says, I will be with you. Moses, I have shaped and called you to serve in this way. You don't know who I am. I know exactly who you are. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. I will be with you. Listen, when the God of the universe serves as your backup, it doesn't matter who you are. He's got it covered. See, God has shaped you and me to be living, breathing, hands and feet, flesh and blood, tangible expressions of the fact that he sees and hears and cares. He's our backup. Unless you think, oh, no, no, no. He's just saying this to Moses. He isn't saying this to you and me. No, no, no. This idea that God comes with us when he calls us, it's all throughout the Bible. I'll just give you a few examples. So God says to Joshua, Hey, Joshua, how about you take a bunch of untried, you know, untested, this ragtag group of nomads into a country where you're outmanned, outgunned, outresourced, and I want you to wipe them out and take over the country. And what does he tell them? I will be with you wherever you go. And God says, hey, Gideon, how about you violate all of your cultural norms? How about you do things that are going to make people want to kill your family? How about you get 300 guys and you go punch in the mouth an army too vast the number? What does God tell Gideon? I will be with you. What does Jesus say? Hey, church, how about, how about you be the hope of the world? As you teach people what it means to have a relationship with me, to grow to become like me? How about you empower them to make a difference for good in my name? And when Jesus gives us that commission, what does he tell us? Behold, I will be with you always. God has shaped us to serve, and he is with us in the midst of that. Because when God calls to, God goes with. When God calls us to something, God promises to go with us in that call. And when God is with us, that's all we need to know. 
It it doesn't matter what we know when God is with us. It's about who we know. When God is with us, it's not about what we can do. It's about what he can do through us. When God is with us, it's not about our inadequacy. It's about his sufficiency. When God is with us, it's not about our weakness. It's about his strength. When a God of the universe is your backup, it doesn't matter who you are. He's got the rest covered. And so God says to Moses, hey, I'm calling you to make a difference for good. The world's going to know, I see, I hear, I care because of you. And Paul tells us, the Old Testament, the stories that we read there, they're recorded for our benefit. Their stories are our stories. God has shaped you and me. And he's called us to make a difference for good. And he promises to be with us in that call. So the question then becomes, how are we doing as servant? Like, am I serving? And am I serving to the extent that God would have me serve? And, and if I'm not then what really good excuse have I dreamed up for why I'm not serving? I'd serve, but fill in the blank. And maybe more importantly, does that excuse really make sense? In light of the fact that we have been called in light of the fact that we have been shaped, in light of the fact that the God of the universe promises to go with us, does that excuse really make sense? If it doesn't, we want to help you with that. Because we don't want to just be a church that says, hey, this is what you're doing wrong. We want to be a church that comes alongside of us and says, hey, here's how we can together do what's right. So outside those doors, we're going to have a ministry fair. He came in today, had somebody come in and be like, man, it's jumping in here. Yes, it was. <laughs> Got them all hot and lathered up and turned them loose on a ministry fair. And they, hopefully we're going to do the same thing this service. So here's the idea. Out there are a whole pile of different ministries, not all of them, but a number of different ministries that happen here at Faith Covenant Church. And we would love, love, love for you to sign up for a first serve with one of those ministries. Now, first serve, you are committing to try something one time. That's it. One time you are not signing in blood. You are not signing up for the rest of your life. It's one try, all right? If you like it, great. If you hate it, you're, you're off the hook. Now, with the first serve, you get out there, you try this thing, and, and, and you have an opportunity to serve here at church. Is, is Faith Covenant Church the only place you can serve? Of course not. There are a host of different places where you can serve. One of the places we should serve is in our church. And if you're not serving anywhere, you're not serving to the extent that you should be, we want to try and help you make it easy. We're going to, we're going to set it up and you can knock it down. And so we would love to have you serve out there. And, and here's the thing you need to understand. We can't do this without you. We cannot be the church that God has called us to be unless the whole body is coming together and serving. And so we would love to have you serve with us. Now, where can you serve? There's a whole pile of places. 
like Pastor Laura would love to have you serve in Faith Kids. Every Sunday morning, every Wednesday night, you have all kinds of kids, zero through fifth grade, who descend upon this place. And, and Pastor Laura and her team, they are not doing child care. They are coming alongside kids and helping try and, they're trying to help kids find their faith. Not grandma's faith, not mom and dad's faith, a faith that is their faith. And they're trying to help these kids figure out what does it look like for you as a kid to grow to become like Jesus. And no, you don't have to wait till you're 18 to make a difference for good. Let's figure out what it looks like for you as a child to do that right here and now. They would love to have you do a first serve in Faith Kids. Pastor Eric and his team, they would love to have you do a first serve with faith students, all right? Um, Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, you've got, you know, 6th grade through 12th grade come and just, you know, wreak havoc on the building. If for no other reason to protect properties, you can do a first serve with, you know, student ministry, all right? Uh, you, Pastor Eric, he's like, hey, I've got, he's got gift cards for, you know, Subway or, or, or Papa John's or something out there where you can get Subway sandwiches if you do a first serve, you know, with, with faith students. But again, the idea is they want to help students figure out what, it, what does it look like to connect to Jesus in relationship, to grow, to become like him, and to empower them to make a difference for good. If you're like, well, I, children scare me. I can't deal with children. All right, fine. Go out to the cafe, sign up for one of the hospitality ministries. Whether it's making coffee, greeting people at the front door, ushering, working the welcome center. You're like, that sounds a lot easier. It is. Don't make the mistake of associating easy with unimportant. The experience somebody has from the time they walk through the front door and have a seat in this room, that is going to make the difference between whether or not they're going to actually experience God's truth and his spirit and his people. Having somebody welcome you, help you figure out where the bathroom is and where the rooms are, that, that's, that, that sets things up for the church to engage in ministry or not. It's incredibly important. If you're like, well, I just hate people all together, all right? Fine, you're in the right place, all right? I'm serious. So there's work with the technology people, all right? They're just, they're, they're, they just push buttons and faders. And, and I'm telling you right now, they make the lights, the sound, the video. If you're in the room, if you're watching online, we would not have church without them. The media team, the sound team would love to work with you. If you're musically gifted, Kat would love to talk to you about a first serve with the worship team. You know, COVID's been hard on every ministry. It's especially been hard on our guitarists. I don't know if you saw Matt up here, right hand. You know, it's, the, the cast is not just for attention. It's part of it, all right? Matt broke his hand. We're down a guitarist. If you can play guitar... Cat would love to talk to you about that. If you can sing, Cat would love to talk to you about that. Now, you, you have to audition for the worship team. We're not going to put you behind a microphone until we know when you sing. It doesn't sound like a coyote trapped in a trash compactor or something, right? There's quality assurance here, but we'd love to have you do a first serve. And again, with a first serve, you're signing up one time, all right? If you like it, great. You can explore doing ministry further, right? They, they may want you. They may, they may not. They may say to you, hey, this is a bad thing. You duct tape the kid to a chair. Try a different ministry, right? But if, if it's a good fit, you can do it more. If it's not a good fit, you can explore something else. And if you're going, all right, I should do a first serve, but I'm not signing up with a ministry that's ongoing because even though you tell me it's a one-time try, I don't believe you. Pastors are liars, and that's true. All right, so here's the deal, all right? Sign up for a first serve with Trunk or Treat. Happens once a year. 
right? Once a year, we try and leverage what's going on in our culture for good. Last time we did Trunk or Treat, we had hundreds of people on our campus on a Sunday morning who had nothing to do with Faith Covenant Church prior to that. It's not going to happen for a whole nother year. You're safe here, all right? Sign up to do a trunk, sign up to, to, to work an inflatable, to help set up, tear down, do food. Be part of that. God has shaped you and me to serve, to be living, breathing, hands and feet, flesh and blood, tangible examples of the fact that he sees and hears and cares. We'd love to have you serve here. We'd love to have you serve here. The people who serve here, they are the backbone of our church. We would not be living in a ministry the way that we are without them. And if we're going to live further into what God's called us to, we need you. So we're going to pray. We're going to close in worship. We're going to set you loose out there. Father, thank you so much just for the faithful, faithful people here at Faith who week in and week out are serving in so many different ways. I am just so appreciative of them, the time, the energy that they put into a host of different ministries here. Father, if there's a way that you would have us serve that we're not right now, I pray that that would be inescapable to us. That we get online, fill out a digital connection card, and we get out in the lobby, and we sign up for a first serve. That we'd be part of showing this world that you see, that you hear, and you care. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.